Hello, and welcome to Investigative Postcast, a podcast program from Investigative Post. I'm Daniela Porat, and I cover criminal justice for Investigative Post. We're a nonprofit investigative reporting center based in Buffalo. In this week's episode, I had the opportunity to speak with Dijon Hall. He is one of the co-authors of a two-year study by UB and Cornell Law Schools that looked at conduct by the Buffalo Police Department that they allege is unconstitutional and discriminatory. In August, a coalition of attorneys and activists sent a letter to the state attorney general here in New York urging the office to investigate the Buffalo Police Department based off of the findings in their study. Hey, Dijon. Hey, Daniela. (laughs) Thank (laughs) you so much for being with us today. We're here to discuss the letter that you, along with a coalition of attorneys and Black Lives Matter activists, filed with the Attorney General alleging uh, unconstitutional conduct by the Buffalo Police Department, as well as discriminatory discriminatory practices, excuse me, against uh, people of color in the city of Buffalo. Mm-hmm. If you can, just um, give us a background on what you found in your research. Jeez, there's so much to unpack here. In 2006, uh, Mayor Byron Brown announced a new policing policy for the city of Buffalo. It was a zero tolerance policy. And since then, from 2006 until uh, up until 2015, the arrest rates of African Americans have gone significantly higher. In fact, since 2006, African Americans have been found to be seven times more likely than their white counterparts to be arrested for low-level offenses such as like marijuana misdemeanors, and that's up four percent from the ten years prior to that. Wow. Uh, in addition to that. Uh, Byron Brown announced Strike Force, uh, which uh, implemented checkpoints throughout the city, the majority of which were centered in the east side of Buffalo, the, ma- the predominantly African-American neighborhood. And uh, through those unjustified uh, checkpoints where there was zero individualized suspicion, which is necessary under a Fourth Amendment uh, sort of process, um, arrest rates have gone up from those uh detentions uh, uh, had occurred, uh, searches, unjustified searches had occurred at those checkpoints. Again, highly uh, concentrated on the east side of Buffalo, where, of course, the population is majority African-American and other minorities. And Uh, when you say checkpoints, just to back up for a bit, you mean mm -hmm. traffic checkpoints. So these are cases where you'll have um, several police cars stopping individuals who are driving on those streets yes uh, in fact you know i've i've actually been through a couple myself and i can describe really <laughs> very perfectly I, I lived on the east side of buffalo for most of my life i am uh, a resident of the east side still currently to this day and i can recall leaving my grandmother's house on shirley avenue near uh comstock in between comstock and i think it's either park ridge or it's one of those P Street. <laughs> and I remember turning onto Comstock to get to um, Kensington in order to get to 33 to go downtown. And while I was driving down Comstock, if you've ever driven down it, you know there's a bunch of stop signs. Right before you get to, before I got to Kensington, there were like four or five police cars with their lights 
flashing, and I'm thinking something must have happened over here. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't the case. They were simply going up to cars, peering into the cars, peering in at not just, of course, their their inspection stickers, but also into the cars themselves and deciding, it seemed almost arbitrarily, who can pass or if they saw something uh, within the car or had some sort of other reason, uh, whether it be justified or not, they would stop those individuals. And that sort of thing struck me as odd because in law school as a law student, I learned that you know police are not supposed to stop individuals without any sort of reason. But here cops were within my own city, in my neighborhood, around the corner from my grandmother's house, stopping people who may have been on their way to work, on their way to visit family, friends, for no other reason than to just peer into those cars. That sort of thing is unacceptable, and that's what we found happened to not just happen on that one instance that I happened to, uh, I use happened like four times. That's okay. Let me rephrase that. (laughs) Uh, What we found was that uh, those individual officers were stopping people um, who may have been visiting family or friends, uh, may have been going to or from work for no reason. They were peering into cars uh, that day in a way that they had been doing all over the east side of Buffalo, as we discovered through this, this study, uh, arbitrarily. And that sort of thing is the unjust, unconstitutional practice that has been in place since 2013 when these strike forces were implemented by Byron Brown in his police department. And so for the non-law students and lawyers among us, um, <laughs> When you use the word unjustified search, right. that is that is a legal finding that something would be unjustified. A search would be unjustified. Uh, briefly, can you explain what exactly an unjustified car stop looks like versus perhaps a justified car stop might look like? So in order to pull a car over, an uh, uh, officer would require a reason to do so or uh, some sort of suspicion that's that has some sort of evidence base or logic base behind it. Um, For example, uh, failing to use a turn signal, that would trigger a stop in a ticket citation. Um, Speeding, running past a red light, these are things that trigger that. But driving for no other, (laughs) I mean, driving without having broken the law in any sort of way would not trigger a police stop. But here we have officers stopping traffic for no reason. That is what we're talking about when we say unjustified. The Fourth Amendment guarantees us the right, uh, or I'm sorry, guarantees us to be free from unreasonable searches and seizures. When cops stop individuals for no reason and then peer into their car, and by peering in, of course, they, they do so for their own protection, which is the right thing an officer should do. But sometimes they peer in just to look for other things, uh, such as, uh, as I noted earlier, marijuana misdemeanors have gone up significantly for African Americans since the implementation. How many of these unjustified stops, uh, how many of those stops resulted in marijuana arrests from a cop peering into a car that they would not have been able to do so had they not uh, operated in a manner that wasn't consistent with the Fourth Amendment? Right. I, I think that... that um that makes a lot of sense. You can't just 
we're not living in a in a state where police can just look into your car, look right. into your person, look into your home right. um, at their whim. Uh, and and that triggers another part of, of the study. Mm-hmm. Uh, additionally, uh, Byron Brown uh, and the Buffalo Police Department took over the BMHA police force. So BPD has a subset housing unit now. And uh, the housing unit began doing vertical trespassers of BMHA properties. Now public housing tradition uh, in the east side of Buffalo and uh, we found in majority of the city actually is occupied by those who are poor and at a disproportionate rate they happen to be occupied by those who are of color. Uh, those vertical sweeps. Uh, re- Define uh, a vertical sweep. So officers walking through uh, the hallways of BMHA property stopping people who may have been visiting friends or family um, stopping them searching them in some instances that's another example of an unjustified stop. Are we merely going to uh, walk through the halls of apartment buildings and stop people for no reason other than check my ID? That seems a bit odd. And you also found that a lot of people were being arrested on BMHA properties for trespassing charges. That's correct. And these are people who could have been visiting family or friends. Uh, you know, I myself, I have a lot of friends who just stop by to, to chat. Right. Imagine if I lived in uh, BMHA property and my friends who lived elsewhere just stopped to come by my house, knock on my door, perhaps get me to come and chill outside with them or relax outside. And on their way, they enter a property, which admittedly they don't live. Uh, and they're stopped by an officer who checks their ID, says, oh, you don't live here. You're trespassing. And then they're arrested for trespassing. When in reality, what they were trying to do is visit their friend. And what this can look like is, say, I'm not home. And then there's no one to vouch for them. That's when the arrest occurs. That's the sort of thing that we found was happening throughout BMHA properties. And that's the sort of unconstitutional, unjustified actions that we're hoping the attorney general will address. And so when um, you say you hope the attorney general uh, kind of addresses these issues, what is your ideal end end goal? So uh, there's two steps here, right? Uh, UB and Cornell have a great amount of resources, but we also have limited resources, right? We can't investigate this as thoroughly as, say, the federal or state government can. Um, we can't peer into every portion of the police policy. That's not our, uh, that's not within our realm of possibility. However, the Attorney General can take our findings and go further and investigate further and possibly uncover more. From that, the Attorney General can initiate a lawsuit against Buffalo or the Police Department, which hopefully can result in a consent decree, right? And what that would mean is the city would then enter negotiations with the state attorney general, hopefully a better, uh, better patterns and practices uh, begin to be implemented by Buffalo Police Department to avoid what we've seen over the past 10 years, which has been unjustified, unconstitutional policing uh, policies that have directly targeted, it appears, uh, directly, let me rephrase that, directly targeted uh, the east side of Buffalo and African-Americans as well as Latinos. 
one uh, phrase in the letter that struck me, uh, and this goes to the part of the letter that outlines uh, the discriminatory nature, the biased nature of these policing practices, and that is that the, I quote, the presumption of fairness and innocence has been erased in these communities. Can mm. you talk a little bit about what that means? Well, we've all heard the phrase innocent until proven guilty, right? And I quoted earlier uh, the Fourth Amendment, uh, you know, the uh, freedom from unreasonable searches and seizures. When you have officers stopping traffic and looking into vehicles, conducting what amounts to be unjustified searches, when you have officers stopping people in the middle of a hallway, uh, the presumption of innocence has been wiped away. Those police interactions are based uh, on location. Uh, they're based sometimes possibly on race. Uh, and given the policy, it's definitely based on race. Uh, and that's when you see a deterioration of the presumption of innocence. Uh, when you stop me from driving to get to work downtown uh, for no other reason than just to stop me, uh, that, that does something to my trust in my community and my policing. And it makes me feel inherently criminal, despite the fact that I've done nothing wrong. That's what we need. That's where the deterioration of, of the belief that we are innocent until proven guilty comes uh, from. That's where you get the sense that there's a lack of accountability. That's where you, you start to see communities shy away from participating in actively helping police. That's what we're talking about with that sentence. I think you just brought up a really important point about how um, police actions against um, in Buffalo communities of color has this effect that begins to erode the public loses its trust in mm -hmm. the Buffalo Police Department. The Buffalo Police Department erodes trust in its own force. Um, and you bring this up in, in the letter, and we've brought it up in our own reporting, that you know the violent crime in Buffalo is mm -hmm. persistent, homicides are not uh, getting solved, and it seems to me like we have a situation where um, Communities of color are over-policed, over-policed for certain things, and under-policed in areas that uh, are needed most, like mm -hmm. violent crime. What's, what's your take on that? There's a lot to say there. Um, I had to listen to an uh, interview that you had in which uh, uh, you had stated that members of the government here, the municipal government, had emphatically stated that we're not Ferguson. We haven't had a Ferguson. Um, and that struck me as odd because as I read the Ferguson report and I look at what was found, uh, that being violations of the Fourth Amendment, exactly what we're talking about in this report. You mean the Justice Department the report Justice on Justice Department Ferguson. report on Ferguson, that's mm -hmm. correct. Um, the Fourth Amendment violations. And then there's another part of that report that speaks about how the ticket citations that were occurring in Ferguson did very little to decrease crime, did very little to address violent crime, but more so increased tickets for the purpose of revenues for the city of Ferguson, right? Um, that's sort of what 
could be happening here. We didn't have enough time to dig deeper into the the finances behind what was happening. But what I did discover uh, after reading a Buffalo News report, um, the year, I think, was 2015 when the city began to uh, keep some of the revenue from its traffic tickets. Uh, when we look at what happened that year, and you'll find in the report, between two, 2013 and 2015, uh, ticket or citations increased by about 25,000 over the course of two years. That's a 62% wow. increase. Um, those tickets included, you know, like window tickets for tents, right? Meanwhile, things that would be dangerous to drivers like DWI tickets or DUI tickets decreased over that period. Wow. Right? Um, so as we saw these tickets increase, uh, we saw addressing violent crime stay the same, same strategy, you know? What does that do to the people you're policing, right? It tells us, if you're aware of the, uh, of the data, and <laughs> I've heard a lot of conspiracy theories on the east side of Buffalo, but this one is certainly one of the more prevalent ones, uh, and now that we have data to support it, looking less and less like a conspiracy. Um, there is this great sense that police are only interested in increasing revenue for themselves in the city. Very little interest in solving crime, right? And this has been a long refrain uh, from Black Lives Matter nationally. The call for community policing is in direct response to uh, communities feeling as if Police, police officers are um, are following a policy meant only to benefit the city itself, right? So with that being the case, on the east side, people will rightfully feel as if, why should, why should we trust police when they're only out for themselves? And that, in turn, has a negative impact on the police's ability to solve crime. Precisely, because then uh, individuals on the east side will feel less comfortable coming forward uh, to police, uh, especially if they already feel like they're being targeted or feel inherently criminal. Final question. Let's end on a, on a depressing note. Um, under the Obama administration, uh, his Justice Department often, or not, not necessarily often, but used the power of the Justice Department to place police departments across the country under consent decree, uh, like Ferguson, like Baltimore, like Chicago, uh, in order to address um, the unconstitutional conduct that these departments uh, engaged in and were found to be engaged in after uh, a federal investigation. We don't have an Obama administration Justice Department anymore. What does that mean for uh, this type of approach to addressing police misconduct in, in local police departments? Hmm. That is quite a depressing note, <laughs> I'll say. Uh, you know, to go from Eric Holder, then Loretta Lynch's Justice Department, to Jeff Sessions' Justice Department, one that embraces, um, unfortunately, given Trump's quote, actually embraces uh, excessive force. Trump literally said, rough them up a bit. 
mm-hmm. in reference to someone who's suspected hasn't been found guilty by a court but suspected of a crime rough them up a bit you can't trust a government that openly endorses unconstitutional behavior to step in when you have uh, the sort of practices that are going on here in Buffalo right you can't go to the Justice Department to say look we found that in the two years between 2013 2015 African Americans in our city accounted for 52 over half 52 percent of all misdemeanor arrests despite making up only 38% of the city population. And that number gets worse as you go down and look at age, right? 68% of misdemeanor arrests in the city uh, of those who are age 16 to 17. African-American, under 16, 75%. These are terrible numbers. And you can't take that to a Justice Department that says, you know what, we're not going to press charges against five cops uh, who took part in the death of Freddie Gray in Baltimore. We're not going to pursue that, despite the death being ruled a homicide. Somebody had to do something, but the Justice Department doesn't want to step in. Justice Department has gone on tour. Jeff Sessions has actively gone on tour and uh, has visited law enforcement, ensuring them that the Justice Department is on their side. And it's a shame when the federal government is picking sides as if the police aren't part of the community that they're supposed to serve. Does it make sense to even use language that depicts both, uh, depicts there as even being an option of being sides, right? What does it say when you're a president, uh, when your president lets uh, Joe forget his last name. Arpaio. Arpaio. I can never pronounce it. I know it's an A. Uh, Let's him off the hook despite the heinous things he did to those who are under his custody because even criminals are entitled to some bit of living standards. You know. Um, so that affected the way we actually went about this. We knew that we couldn't turn to the Justice Department. When I initially joined uh, the clinic, I helped uh, author a draft of the complaint that was supposed to be used uh, uh, to go to the federal justice department. We scrapped it. It had to go because we couldn't trust it. So we looked to a more responsible government and it's odd because I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, say what my political affiliation is, but you never hear a certain party say states rights. Here we are turning to the state because we have more faith in the state. Yes, 20, 2017 has brought about a lot of confusing um, scenarios. Well, Dijon, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Uh, we will be in touch and we'll keep our eyes out for uh, whatever happens next uh, with this letter and, and with your study. Thank you so much for your work. Thank you. It's a pleasure speaking with you as well. Just a reminder, tickets for our October 19th gala dinner can be purchased online at investigativepost.org. That's where you can find our previous podcast as well and any of our previous reporting. Thanks again for listening. See you soon. (laughs) 